I just want to just kind of put it in this way. Uh, anybody remember we're going to school? Yes, right there. So we're going to school. We got a lease on the building this week. Yes, thank you. Josh, we need to celebrate the Jesus. So we got the lease, so we're in the process of negotiating this. It's going to go back and forth. Our plan is to have the school lease signed by uh, end of July, probably middle of July, to be more hopeful, but again, maybe third week. It's going to go back and forth a couple times so we can settle everything. And then we're going to launch the daycare preschool by God's grace, all things being as they should, in January, and the school will launch the following September, August of next year. So, with that in mind, I would encourage you to give. Any football plan? Any football players out there? Football, football fans, I should say. There we go. I'm going to make a football reference, so I just want to make sure you play some. So, in football, like, so, we're used to, LH used to starting at the goal line. You know, our backs to the wall, on the zero line, if anything goes wrong, we're going to score and have to get the ball out. We're going to get scored against and have to get the ball out. So, we're used to being on the goal line. What the money will do is it will enable us to at least start from the 20 yard line. So we'll have some room, room, to, room to move, some abilities to run some plays. Instead of focusing on rubbing nickels, we'll be able to focus on implementing the vision and be able to focus on moving the, the school into where it needs to be. So, what I'm challenging you with, some of you can give more, but what I'm challenging you with is that if you would consider giving $1,000, some of you can give five, some of you can give 10, some of you can give 20. You can give what you get, whatever God, not just what God puts on your heart, but I'm going to tell you something too, that what you determine to give, God will honor. And so sometimes like, well, I don't feel like the Lord's telling me anything. Well, then why don't you say, I determine, Lord, I want to give this. And so if we could could all just come together, even like at three, five thousand, ten thousand, five thousand, whatever, you know, and what does that look like? It looks like over six months, that's a thousand dollars is 150 a month, that's like 35 bucks a week. Right? Some of you gave up your Starbucks budget, you would be able to get. And you'd have something way more lasting than this. It would be something that would be implemented for God got to use in future generations. So I want to encourage you to remember this church to be a part of what we're doing. And you're going to hear David today. David's going to go, is there not a cause? Is there not something that's worth sacrifice? Is there not something that's worth courage? Is there not something that's worth commitment? And the answer to that is yes. And this is part of something that God wants to work into the world. So, I encourage you to participate in it. Don't be a spectator, be a participant. Yes, that's right. So your giving, it's in addition to your regular giving, just designated on the envelope that it is for the school. Um, so just if you would do that, so that we make sure we get the records straight. So we're doing a, a teaching on David. Those of you that don't know, David's a pretty significant figure in scripture. Can we agree? He's pretty important. Right? You have a cast of characters that God cast of lives that Jesus highlights throughout the scripture. And one of them, one of the pinnacle lives, is the life of David. And so he's that important that Jerusalem is called the city of right? Jesus is called the son of you got it. So it's pretty important. And so we've been doing looking at the life of David, and where it's brought up us to this point is Israel wanted a king, and in asking God for a king, they they, the Lord viewed it as a rejection of him because he no longer wanted his people. People no longer wanted to be spiritually led. They wanted to be carnally led. They didn't want to be led by the spirit or led by the prophets or led by the, the ministry. They wanted to be led by a human government. And so in doing so, they came under the influence of God because they wanted to be just like everybody else. The problem with that is that we are not just 
like everybody else. And a lot of Christians stumble and struggle because they're trying to be like everybody else and still be a believer. You're not like everybody else. And so the issue is to discover who you are in Christ and begin to walk that out instead of trying to constantly be like everybody else. Because you're not. And you never will be. We're strangers, we're aliens, we're peculiar people, we're not of this world, on and on. The Bible tells us that. And so they wanted to be like everybody else, but Saul had a problem. Saul was very carnal. Saul didn't like to follow a simple set of directions. So they asked for a king, God gave them Saul. And he asked for a king because they were vain, right? And they were self-seeking. So God gives them a king who is vain and self-seeking. Gotta be careful what we ask for, right? In that sense, or to make sure that we're what we're demanding of God fits into his economy. And so Saul was a guy who was very vain, he was all about himself. And the problem with Saul is Saul didn't like to follow a simple set of instructions. That would help so many people out if we as believers would just learn to follow a simple set of instructions. Anybody in workplace, any managers here? Anybody who like, runs a business or anything like that? The problem with the most frustrating thing you experience is when you have employees or people or partners or whatever, they cannot follow a simple set of instructions. Show up at 7, not 7.30, you know? Please do it like this. I mean, your corporations are so manual now that you all you got to do is just read a book and go, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. And you're so policy-driven that you almost, most jobs are non-thinking. And yet people can't even follow a simple set of directions even in a non-thinking job. And we wonder why we have a problem. God's given us a simple set of instructions. And one of the things, a simple set of instructions as far as discipleship, read your Bible, pray, commit a connection to your financially given up on mission. If you can follow that simple set of instructions, and you can commit yourself to radical five, I guarantee you that over the next year, if you will go all in on that, your life will be completely different in 12 months from what it is right now. But the problem with us is, is that we can't follow a simple set of instructions. We just can't. Read your Bible, and I do I get a reader, Kevin? Really? Are you a listener? You can get it on audio Bible. Are you a watcher? You can watch it on video now. You don't even have to get an audio Bible where it's read. You get an audio Bible that's got, like, you know, uh, embellishments. So if you want to hear Jesus by the seashore, Jesus will be adopting with the seashore. You'll hear wind in the background. You'll have waves, seagulls. I mean, what more do you want? You have it on your phone. You have it in your car. I mean, you can't do that. You know, read your Bible and pray. No. Prayer just seems so hard, man. I just need to Prayer is also an attitude of worship. Prayer is not just asking or seeking. Prayer is also worship and adoration. Prayer is not just speaking. Prayer is also listening. How about that one? Pray, committed, connect to church. I don't know. I'm here when I feel like it. You know, when I roll out of bed, it kind of hits me, then I'll show up. I don't really know if it's worth my commitment, but that's your problem. Financially give. I don't know. I'm just not really sure about it. Or, you know, live on mission. Which, other words, tell people about Jesus. Right? Be a witness and a light and reach for other people who don't know Christ. Even if you don't know how to share the gospel, invite them to church. What if they say no? What if they say yes? What if they say no? What if they say yes? I guarantee you, if you love that person enough, they're eventually going to say yes, just to get you off their back. But why? No. It makes me look bad. Greater love is no one than this than to lay their life down for their friends. Ooh. Ouch. You're too worried about your own life to sacrifice it to reach another person. You're too worried about what other people might think of you to actually tell people you're actually a Christian 
Or they're actually telling them they're seek, recognize they needed their life and begin to minister to a cross. And could it be, Christian, just this just a question, could it be that transformation, or one of the keys to our transformation, lies in our ability or our inability to follow a simple set of instructions? Could it be Saul lost his position, Saul could not manifest the kingdom, because Saul's problem is he couldn't manifest a simple set, he couldn't follow a simple set of instructions. That's the first thing you probably need to do. Some of you, if your life's in all the disarray, you walk through the Lord, and everything just seems so confusing, out of order all the time. It goes well, and then it doesn't go well, and it's over here, and you're over here, and you're over here, and all this crazy stuff going on all the time. Could it be you need to grab yourself and shake yourself and go, you are going to follow a simple set of instructions. Amen. You're going to turn your brain off, and you're going to turn your will off. And what I mean by your brain is all of the conflicts that you have internally. You're going to shut them off, and you're going to do what Jesus says if it kills you. Amen. Is that possible? No, it's true. You can clap for that because it's true. It's true. I transformed faster than people that were in the faith because I did with a simple set of instructions. I still follow the simple set of instructions. At simple levels and at higher levels, I'm still following God's simple set of instructions. I don't know how to like, how do you grow? How do you get with? I was just like, duh, I don't know anything. He told me. He told me three things. He told me, get church, financial give, read your Bible. Those are the three things he told me. That transformed me. But as I saw God, I felt like he added a couple more, so it's become the foundation. That's why, in case you guys don't know, why is our logo five dots? Right? In case you don't know. The logo is five dots because it centers around the radical five. Five dots and a cross. Because that is the core foundation of what we call you to and what we summon you to is the foundation of discipleship. Everybody wants to talk about discipleship. Well, nobody really can define discipleship. Can you define it? Memorize scripture. Okay? What else? I just told you. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, commit and connect, financially give them the one mission. Saul always had a better idea. God would say, do this, and Saul would go, you know, i got a better idea. Yeah, I just don't think I'm, I'm down with that. I think i got a different perspective. The Lord says this, but I don't believe that's actually what he's saying. I don't believe he actually wants me in church all the time. I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe he actually wants me to get involved. I don't, I don't think that's really what he's saying. I don't think he really expects me to give a tie. I don't think he expects that. Are you kidding me? 10%? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that, Pastor. Every week? Yep. According to your face, so be done you. You don't have to, you get to. We teach tithing here, be forewarned. So, you know, you don't have to give, you get to. Bible says, I will have my honor. God said, I am a great God. This is exactly in the context of the tithe. He told the people, give to me what you offer, give your governor what you offer me. Give your boss, give your wife, give the person that you have the spectacle of authority, offer them what you're offering me, and see how they respond. You offer me nothing? Go offer your boss nothing. I know you're paying me for this, but I, I just don't really feel like going to a job today. I don't, you know, I, I expect, you know, whatever it is, offer the least that you can to your employer and see how that works out for you. Offer the least that you can into your marriage and see how that works out for you. And God says the same thing. Offer your governor what you offer me. And he says, I am a great king. And if you will not honor me, I will find another people who will. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. For such a time as this, now Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do it, God's going to remove you and he's going to find somebody else who will do what he asked him to do. Jesus said the rocks are going to cry out. Okay? If you don't honor me, I, I'm going to get honored from somewhere. 
I'm going to find someone who will honor me. And so you know, God equates the offering as a direct act of honor. This needs to be understood in this generation. It's if you feel like it, if you want to. Well, you can be if you feel like it, if you want to, because it's under grace. But that is not his command. That is not his summons. He's summoned you to this. Now, are you exempt from it? Yeah, sure. You can exclude yourself from it. And, but you also exclude yourself from the blessing that's attached to it. You can exclude yourself from church. And you know what you'll do? You exclude yourself from the blessing that's attached to it. The miracle is in the house. In the house. Ileana, did you get a chance to talk to Armando? Okay. Armando, Ileana, okay. So just to tell you, Armando's struggling with something. He's got some situation going on in his life. Going through some things. And I said, there's a woman here who's been through that and more. And I think she can offer you something, or at least counsel you or give you some understanding into that. How is that possible? Because the miracle's in the house. That would have never happened if there's not relationship here. Do you understand that? The miracle's here. If God uses his people to provide for his people, his primary source and his chosen vehicle of provision is his own people. And we don't get that. Ooh, if I feel like it, right over our head. You are not just here to be blessed, you are here to bless other people. We are to be, and I'm not even okay, we are here to be an intentional community that goes about blessing and adding value one to the other. Do you see the power that's built in that? The power of intentional blessing one to the other? Well, people are going to be trained. Well, yeah, they are. So what? Jesus is going to honor you. We are going we are to be intentionally forthright and blessing one to the other. It's called koinonia. It means united. United, bonded together. That's the, that's the point. But somehow we think in this generation that we're the universal body of Christ. Who told you that? Who told you that you're the universal body of Christ? That's a concept. Yes, that's true. But the localized church, you were commanded to be part of a body. And if you're the universal body of Christ, you're not connected to a body. Some random self looking around out there. You need to connect to a body. Jesus' intention. Church is not man's idea. It's not. We didn't just open a bunch of pastors get together a long time. Hey, look, you're like, oh, you know, I think we should do this. Are you kidding me? The church is a mysterion. The Bible reference it as a mystery. Like, how does this do anything? Well, this does a lot. Because God has chosen this as a vehicle of transformation. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching to bring salvation. And he has chosen an atmosphere to which his family gathers for him to release something in your life. Without it, you will be deficient. Without it, you will be anemic. Write that down. Write that down. So when you're anemic and nothing's going on in your life and you feel disconnected, it's going to be directly associated to either your commitment or your connection to church and fellowship, not just his spirit. True. True, true, true. So there you go. <laughs> Back to David. Saul rejects it. Can't follow a simple set of instructions. The Lord lifts his anointing. Old Testament economy, say it with me, in the Old Testament, it was visitation. In the New Testament, it's habitation. So in the Old Testament, they were relying upon the Spirit to come and go as he willed. Right? In the New Testament, you were given the Holy Spirit, and he never leaves you, and he never forsakes you. So Saul's actions caused the Holy Spirit to depart because it was under the Old Testament economy, because it was a visitation. The prophets couldn't prophesy at will. They should didn't know that. Did you know you can? If you were groomed and developed, you can prophesy at will. At will. We were 
restaurant, Hank and I and Sherry, we were at uh, uh, Crab Grill, right? So Hank's kind of put me out there so many times, so I'm always looking for work with the waiter, the waitress, or anything like that. Go look at the table full of people. So you guys, if you ever go to lunch with Hank, you gotta put him out there. You gotta beat him to the punch. You gotta go, Hank, you gotta work for this waiter in front of everybody. Because there will be a word, I can assure you. And so the guy came up and we were talking, and I looked at him, and I kept trying to ask the word for a word. And I saw something the first time, and then he came back again the second time, and I saw the same thing. I saw a star behind it, and I'm thinking we're cracking barrel, maybe I'm associating it with the apron, you know, the star in the apron. So I didn't know that. I was like, kind of like, okay. And then the second time he came up, I saw the star behind him again. But my wife's cousin has a Texas star, like a 3D tattooed on his arm, right? He lives in Texas. Texas people are probably from Texas, you know, exactly. And so he's got this huge Texas star on his, on his arm. Here's a 45 in his car, so he's like, Texas, right? And so I kept seeing the type of the Texas star that was on Michael's arm. I kept seeing the tattoos, and the Lord's bringing me help, having the star of Texas. And so I looked at him and I just said, hey, does Texas mean anything to you? And he goes, yeah, Texas means something to me. What's meaning? And he said, oh, my mother-in-law is um, moving to Texas. And I said, okay. And I said, what's going on with your mother-in-law now? I said, is there a connection? Is there something going on in the family? And he said, yeah, my mother-in-law lives with my wife and I, and it's caused a lot of tension, and it's caused a lot of problems. And um, he said, her moving to Texas, I said, I feel like there's been, and that's I started talking about, I said, I feel like the star's behind you because this issue is being put behind you, you know? And so, anybody know anything about the prophetic? As soon as the prophetic starts rolling, it creates a river. And so then another tank starts delta off of this, and we're sitting here like, dropping it on this dude while he's sitting there. It was just really, really powerful. You know, so that, the, the issue was, I didn't need a habitation or a visitation economy. I didn't have to go out to the car and throw a blanket over my head and prostrate myself on the ground and go, oh Lord, please visit. Oh Lord, please visit. I didn't have to do that. I have a habitation. The Holy Spirit is with me always, even to the end of the age. I have the presence and the power of God with me right now. What I need to do is know how to key into it, how to activate it. So that's what happened. I just asked the water. And boom, right there it was. And then I have to park with it and walk it out and see where he wants to go. And I felt like, ask him about Texas. So I said, anything about Texas? Like, Texas can mean you? It's like, yeah. So I told him the story. Like, wow, that's interesting. So it's stuff like that. But what you need to know, Christian, is it's not habita it's habitation. It's not visitation. So I'll take it a little further. Habitation has to be understood because the Holy Spirit is with you. There is no sin that you can commit to cause his spirit to leave you. Who told you that? I got three of you. That's all right. That's a, that's a good majority. Right? It only takes one in Jesus' economy. Two or more is a majority. Okay? We think that because we did this, or I did this wrong, or I'm not doing this right, or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit isn't with you. Who told you that? You can see the Holy Spirit will manifest. You see, I told first service, you see it with ministers all the time. You see, pastors living in time, and I'm not one of them, thank God, preach to Jesus, I serve you with everything I have, you know, but we wonder once sometimes, like, how did that guy end up in that place doing that thing, because he's swamping and he's a man, yeah, but great miracles came out of him, yeah, because miracles don't testify of character, okay, and miracles don't testify of doctrine, that's important enough, but many guys throughout history have had some crazy doctrines, crazy understandings of scripture, and yet they manifest miracles, there's lots of guys who have crazy character problems, and yet they manifest miracles. Why is it? Because the anointing does not testify of character, and it does not testify of doctrine. It testifies of Jesus. Do you understand that? So you, you, you can live riotously, but the anointing is still with you. 
all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. You know, for sin abounds, grace does much more. Shall we sin that grace may abound more? By God's means, no. Just because we have grace in our wrongdoing, it's not for us to continually practicing sin. You understand that? With the mentality that we've done something wrong, the lie of the devil, which is what it is, a lie of the devil, is that the favor of God is lifted off of you because of an action. Wrong answer. The cross changes everything. That may be true in the Old Testament economy, but that is not true in the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is bound to you by blood. He is bound to you by covenant. He will not leave you. This is mind-blowing if you really get this concept, because it's like, what it does is it rattles your brain. That's why grace is so amazing. That's why it's unfathomable, the love that God has for us. He loves me even, even yeah, he's for you even when you're against you. And some people, and what happens is the enemy takes people into guilt and condemnation. Oh, because you did that, now God doesn't love you. Oh, because you did that, this is what's going on. Who told you that? I didn't say you didn't have to repent. I didn't have to say you didn't have to take a bath and say, Lord, I did wrong here, didn't take this from me. I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why, how I get it up there. And um, I got on the train for one stop, but I ended up 10 stops downtown. I don't know how I got there. But his glory hasn't left you. And all you got to do is worship. All you got to do is give you favor. I was taught this by a church a long time ago. I learned a lot of different things, and I had this perspective that if I didn't do all the right things, that God's love wasn't with me. It was wrong, it's legalistic. With lots of benefits from this ministry, but I ended up with that one. I find myself in a place at the time doing, you know, and I wasn't like doing any kind of crazy things, but I was away from things that I knew was to be right, and God was blessing me, and His favor was with me. And what God was doing in that moment was showing me, Kevin, if you think this is predicated on you, you've got it all wrong. If you think that my love is predicated upon your rights, you've got it all wrong. I love you just because, I'm for you just because. Your choices circumvent your destiny, but your choices never circumvent his love. Come on. This is true. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Is that true or is that a lie? Do you believe that anything can keep God from loving you? Do you? And don't you know it, but don't you experience it? So when you know that God loves you and you know he's for you, you won't run from him, you run for him. So towards him. That's an old saying, but it's true. It's true. He loves you. So we're not under an Old Testament economy. So Saul leaves the Old Testament. Saul makes a covenant and makes an agreement, and he moves outside of the blessing of God. The Spirit leads and the devil plays the right. He made an agreement. He said, I don't need to walk in the anointing. I need to walk in human counsel. I need to walk according to my own will. And one of the things Saul suffered with was confusion. Confusion. Confusion where there is envy and self-seeking. There is confusion in every evil thing. So when there's major confusion in your life, one of the roots of confusion is self-seeking or it's envy or jealousy. And so what ends up happening is the enemy claimed a right over Saul and says you are self-seeking, you have rejected God's counsel and embraced your own, and so the enemy comes and claims a right and says I now have the right to afflict you. I now have the right to bring confusion to you. And Saul suffered with confusion and torment, right? Because the enemy claimed the right. What Saul could have done at any point is he could have repented, but he didn't. Saul at any point could have went back to the Lord and said, could have got the priest, could have got the prophets and said, guys, I don't know what was wrong with me, man. I'm tripping. You know, I just can't think straight. Everything's going on. And then a priest or a prophet that was working with Saul would have been able to walk him through a process to get to the root of what that was going on. That's a spiritual affliction. And why is that? 
What's the root of it? Well, where's the disobedience, Saul? Well, where have you taken matters unto yourself? And they could have gotten to the point where he understood what was going on, and he could have gotten to the point where he would repent. And repentance is immediate. God's grace is immediate. And God would have delivered him from the right that he had to be claimed over him, but Saul never repented. Saul was never, never, always had a problem with himself. He never humbled himself. He had a problem with not wanting to look bad. I'm the king, I can't look bad. I'm Dr. So-and-so, I can't look bad. I'm executive so-and-so, I can't look bad. I'm pastor so-and-so, I can't look bad. You know how much repentance I practice? I believe in it. Because repentance isn't torture. Repentance is return. God, I'm carrying this, and I'm off. So I want to give that back to you. That's what repentance means. It just means to give it back. Lord, I was wrong here. I did wrong. I repent of that. My attitude was wrong. My thinking is wrong. My belief system is wrong. Whatever it is that I've done, I've got to give back to you. I don't want that. I want what you have. That's repentance. That's exactly what salvation is. I give you my sin. We have come on. Concept, basic concept of the gospel. Repentance is not when we return to Jesus and we change our mind. That's metanoia. Jesus used the word to shubah. Different returns to shubah, metanoia, change your mind or see different. So metanoia is related to the word repentance, but metanoia to shuba is related to the word return. So Jesus is saying return. Return what? Return your life to me. Return your sin to me. Acknowledge that you are not Lord, but I am. Give me back lordship of your life. Repent. Give me the dominance that you control over your life. That's the key. Repentance is a practice of ongoing. And it's not how we define it. Our churches define it as like a meat. You need to repent. Repentance is just like this big stick that just gets beat down on it all the time. That, that's not it at all. Repentance brings the kingdom to return, but the kingdom's here. You want the kingdom? You gotta repent. Stop in front of me. I'll give you one. I'll run naked up here. I'm gonna make myself nice and vulnerable for you. So we're driving. This is a simple win, but it still creates vulnerability because here's how we can pass the first. Oh, I should be I like this. Pastor is a guy who's operating in an office, but he's just like you. He's hopefully a little more advanced so that he can lead you. I have to advance constantly because I cannot lead you where I have not been. Understand that? So I'm always on the I'm always trying to push it. This stuff wants to push you. Right? So here it is. I'm driving around last year this last week with Cherry. I don't know where we're going out. Michael, I don't know. Some, some place. We're going to a mall of some kind, of store of some kind. And I have to go into a parking garage. It's like, 2013 luxury car, you know, considering back 2013 Honda, sometime. I don't know. You saw my old car, you'd be like, wow, that's really luxury. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so I'm driving in my air conditioned car, and I have to go to the park in the garage, and, and uh, somebody takes my spot, so God forbid, now I have to drive my air conditioned car 100 yards out from where I originally wanted to park it. And I was complaining. Okay, so I'm going to show you what repentance looks like. This is just a simple one. So I'm driving out there and I have to park, and as I'm parking the car, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm hearing the Lord say to me, Kevin, why do you complain about abundance? Why are you complaining about abundance? You drive on paved roads, you're parking under a covered garage, you're about to go into an air-conditioned store where you actually have the money to purchase what you came here to do, but you are, you are complaining about abundance. There are lots of people in the world, people, that don't have what you have. You may not have much, but there are people in the world who have less. Over 7 billion people on the planet, you live in the United States, I can assure you that you're not in last place. I don't care how bad you think you got it. And so I told the Lord right then and there, Lord, you're just totally convicted. I said, Father, 
I will never want to complain about abundance again. I will not complain about abundance. I repent, and then I moved into gratitude. Here, how this, all that, so grateful. I have everything that I felt like he was convicting me on, I'm grateful for the paved roads, I'm grateful for the air-conditioned car, I'm grateful for the covered, covered parking lot, I'm grateful for the resources to be able to go and get what I need, I'm grateful for the store that has AC in it. Anybody ever been anywhere else? Hello? Hello? You know, we live in an immigrant community in Miami, and the immigrant people should be the most forthright of the United States more than anybody else, but you know where you come from, okay? I've been there. Okay, I've been, I've been to Western Europe, I've been a lot of ways in Europe. But when I was in Haiti, I mean, there's nothing going on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't have power. Anybody, anybody here with the Haitian, anything, Dominican, Republic, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they rotate the power grid. Now, I was sharing with the same guy's house in Port Prince, boom, power is out. <laughs> like, what happened? Power No, yeah, they, they rotate the grid. Yeah, I'm going to the grid another. Because they don't have the capacity to power the whole island, so the power went out. We have to shower from a water tank that's on the roof. There's no water here. No water here. We have to drive on roads. You're doing this. You're driving on the road. That's how you drive in a car. Everybody's driving this because the roads are so bumpy. We drive past the palace, the only place was the place where the palace was in Port Prince. The palace was all over the day. Everything else was like, all bets are off. Then we went up into the mountains and it got even worse. People would walk for miles to hear the gospel. We did a meeting and everything. People came all day long, walking miles, to come to the meeting, spend a night in the church, and then walk all the way home. And they came for hours. Hours. They would sit outside in the rain, sitting on rocks. And it would rain. They would all go huddle underneath the mango tree. Me, I'm standing under the porch. They're all underneath the mango tree. And when the rain stopped, they all went back on the rocks and they continued the ministry. And you want to complain about abundance? You want to complain that you actually got to get up and come and serve Jesus? Or come and sit before the Lord? And it's been a place so glorious? You want to complain that you sit on a padded chair that you might actually have to inconvenience yourself and sit in church for five minutes longer than you may want to? Some of you guys need to slap yourselves around and you need to go, what is my problem? Because that's it. That, come on. That's it. Your problem is your arrogance. Your problem is your sense of entitlement. And your problem is your lack of gratitude. It's true. One of the things the Bible convicts the people on is they were not thankful in Romans. They did not regard God in their heart, neither did they acknowledge Him as being Lord and sovereign over their life, and they were not thankful. Now what in the world does that have to do with acknowledging God? It has a lot. Because if you're grateful, you're before Him. It is my honor to come before you today, Lord. It is not an inconvenience to me to give. It is not an inconvenience to me to serve. It is not an inconvenience to me to worship. It is my honor to do so. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the right attitude. But we're a bunch of snidey, yeah, 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 if I feel like it. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Isaiah 15, or Isaiah 58 talks about revival. Oh, we cried for revival. Oh, oh, Lord, bring revival. Revive your works, Lord. Read Isaiah 58. It tells you what revival is. And one of the keys to revival, personal and spiritual and national and church revival, is you know what he says? Stop calling my day a burden. 
practical obedience. Well, practical obedience is good, but spirit is better. Practical obedience with spirit is more powerful. Law and agreement. Israel goes out to war. Back to David. <laughs> now, I don't know who God's trying to wake up in here, or if he just wants this in the atmosphere. I don't know, but it's... Anyway, so Israel goes out to war. So they, Israel was going out to war against their common enemy, the Philistines. David's going to come into the story. Saul leads the army out there in the valley of Elah. Both armies were on opposite mountains, and in between was a valley. David's brothers went out to war, and David sends his father, or David's father sends him out to check on his brothers. So I just want to show you again how the Bible reflects that David's father had a problem with David. So there's three brothers at war. There's seven brothers total. Three of them are in the fight. Four brothers are home. And who does he choose to put in harm's way? David. He puts David in harm's way. David was forgotten by his father. It's important you know that. But he was honored of the Lord. He was not esteemed by his brothers. His family didn't want anything to do with him. His father didn't recognize him. His father didn't develop him. His father considered him an afterthought and put him on the backside of the wilderness. But God saw him. That dysfunction led to an advantage. Some of you need to start seeing your dysfunction as an advantage. Some of you need to start seeing your disadvantage as an advantage. David, disadvantaged that he didn't know his father, he was unwanted by his father, caused him to go to the Lord and say, you are my father. My earthly father may not want me, but you will want me. And it brought a revelation into David's life, and ultimately brought a revelation into the kingdom's life. That's why Jesus is the son of David. Because David understood God's father. Revolutionary concept. Jesus emulated that. He was God. He was reflecting the truth. David got it long before anybody else did. Because the absence of his own father forced him to accept God as his father and draw from the Lord. His disadvantage became his advantage. Spiritual up, so he went home. So they go to the Valley of Elah, it's modern day Gaza, the order of battles, so the next slide. They would bring the armies out. Each day the armies would line up. Each day they hold Goliath, nine foot Goliath would come out, and he would speak blasphemies and, and evil and wickedness against the armies of God. I'm not going to get into this. I thought I was going to get into it, but I don't think I want to. Right. I don't know what you're going to do. Y'all too long. Y'all too long. I'll let you know something. Like, I was in Washington, D.C., and I went to this uh, opportunity to go there. And you don't think our government's founded in the gospel? They used to use the Capitol building where the Congress would be as a church service. And our congressmen and your senators that are founded in this country would preach the God and the gospel preached them. Some of the men within the congregation, and some of the leaders That's would do it. Word. And it, I think it was one of them, I can't remember the guy's name, but I can get it. They had a pastor come in, and the guy spoke for three hours. Three hours. And they asked him not to come back because they said his sermon was too short. And they like wanted to go all day. They're like, look, we came here. Give us something, bro. You know, we're here. Drop it. So you know, we were like, man, I was a 40 minute I don't know about that, you know, I mean, it's just like, who, I mean, church, get it out in an hour. Who, who told you that? I mean, where do we get that from? We get it from our inconvenience, and we get it from our disdain for the things of God. We want to be religious, but we don't want to be true. We want to be religious, but we don't want to be powerful. We look good. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Wow. Right? Come on. So Goliath, 40, day, 40 days in a row, he comes out and mocks Israel day and night. Ladies, what happens in 40 weeks when you're pregnant? Anybody know? You have a baby. 40 is the prophetic number of visitation. 
40 days God visited the earth with a flood. 40 days Jesus was visited and was in the wilderness. 40 days consistently through the Bible is a number of visitation. Goliath mocks God for 40 days. And on the 40th day, God pays him a little visit to a little shepherd boy named David. So for 40 days, God listens to this mockery by this cause. It's not a high 40 days. Let's pay this dude a visit. Visitation. Great powerful number. This Goliath was the son of, 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 of Anak. So this is, we're going to get real steep spiritual. We're going to get really off the grid for some of you, but it's in your Bible. Before the days of Noah, okay, there are certain transitional periods within the earth. They're called ages. There's something called the Antediluvian Age, which is pre-flood. Then there's the age that followed the flood. And there's the age of Moses, and we live in the age of the gospel. So in different ages, things were different. Can we agree? Yes. We live in the power where Satan's power has been broken. There have been times before Christ, the devil's power was unbroken. He was the God of this age, unchallenged. Unchallenged God of this age, do what he wanted, when he wanted, any way he wanted. Demonic power everywhere until Jesus crushed his head. Nations are transformed when the gospel begins to move through it. There are nations in our world that have not been transformed because the gospel in its purest form has not been moved through it yet. That's why you don't see it. We are beneficiaries of that happening. We've had the gospel moving through our nation for quite some time, as has Europe, as has different places. The gospel has moved through here and it brings transformation. So under the days before the flood, and angels, so we have this time where God walked among the people, Adam and Eve saw angels, and it seems that that continued for quite some time. Adam even saw an angel block in the tree of life. So it was an angelic encounter that human beings had because both worlds were one. You know when Jesus comes again, he's going to make both worlds one. What happened when man fell and through the processes of time, God has sealed from us the realm of the spirit. The realm of the spirit in truth is only accessible to the believer. Only the Christian, the heavens have been rent, but not for everybody. Only the believer in covenant with Christ is under the open heaven. You can interact in the spirit all day long. You can see visions. Let us go on to visions, Paul says. Come to Firestarters. You're going to have a vision encounter. Firestarters, when you Firestarters in August, you want to do something, you want to do some stuff? You want to just play around with the devil, but that's not the devil. You want to play around with the Holy Spirit. Wrong one, Lord. You want to play around with the Holy Spirit when you go to the Firestarters. You have a vision encounter. You can go on the board in time. The heavens are open, but in this time it was not. The enemy had unconnotated ability. So it appears that before the flood, the angels had an ability to interact with humans. People say that angels are sexless. The Bible does not say that. The Bible clearly refers to them as men. Every time you see a reference, they're in the form of a man. The Bible says angels gather to those can have sex. It doesn't say that. It clearly doesn't say they can have, they can have sex with humans because it's in the Bible. And so we have a period of time where angels were interbreeding with human women. And they produced, I'm telling you, it's in your Bible, they produced two generations of people. One was through genetic experiment, so they were genetically trying to manipulate human beings. And they were intercoursing with women to give birth. Why were they doing that? Because Jesus had told them that God had told the devil that you are going to be destroyed and your kingdom is going to be annihilated through the seed of the woman. And so the devil goes, hmm. Well, we better start corrupting the seed of the woman, then, shouldn't we? And then he prophesies and says that the son will be crucified in Israel and upon Golgotha. And so the devil goes ahead of them and starts putting these giants, these descendants of the giants, 
in the land. The whole time he's trying to circumvent the promise. He's trying to circumvent what God is doing. And so you have angelic beings intermingling with women. They gave birth to a group of men called the Nephilim. Why do you think God flooded the earth? Nephilim. They were sons of Shaitan. They were sons of the fallen. That's what they're, that's what they're called. And God flooded the earth. When it, why did God choose Noah? Again, it's in your Bible. Noah was perfect in his generations. Noah and his family was perfect in his generation. There had been no genetic manipulation, and there had been no intercourse with angelic beings. There was nothing in Noah's generation was pure. And so God chose Noah, who was perfect in his generations, and he flooded the earth. Why do you think we find all these crazy skulls and stuff like that? You think it's, you think it's aliens? It has nothing to do with aliens. I don't know if they get into all that, but nonetheless, it was genetic manipulation. They gave birth to a race called the Nephilim, and God destroyed that world. And then they gave birth to a race called the Anakin, which were, which were, we don't know what a Nephilim was. We have no idea what a Nephilim was. Anybody wants to tell you they were giants, that's not what the Bible refers to them on. It tells them they were manipulated beings. That's what it tells us. The Anakin were giants. So we don't have any Nephilim, but we have Anakins. And the, the, we have these giants, and they were again. Through genetic manipulation, or through somehow, somehow it was intercourse. And so, Goliath was a descendant of those. How do you know? He was nine feet tall, he had six fingers and six toes. That's basically a generic, that doesn't sound too good. He came out, the Bible tells us that they were there in the book of Numbers, so he is the seed. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They will be married, they're keeping marriage, given in marriage, everything, so it was, was in the Son of Man, that's when Jesus is going to come back. Well, that just seems like any, any, any generation. We are doing more genetic manipulation in our generation than at any other point in history. We are genetically altering animals, genetically altering food, Monsanto, genetically altering, trying to genetically alter human beings. I just talked myself right off the stage. It's true. If you do your research, all this stuff's going on behind the scenes. So as it was in the days of Noah, they're training him, they're married, they're married. But there was something unique going on in the days of Noah. So God's not just pointing at the days of Noah as some random thing. It wasn't the days of Abraham. They were married, even the marriage of Abraham's day. What's so special about Noah's day? Genetic manipulation, genetic mutation. I mean, we're getting it down to where we can actually tell you what section you want the child to be, boy, you know, girl. We're manipulating, we're trying to manipulate the genetics to where we actually start to what? Play God? Oh, that sounds like a divine authority. You can like God. It's just a thought. Yeah. You're wrong, Pastor. And the angels who did not keep their first abode, but left their abode, and he was reserved in everlasting chains. The angels that intermingled with women are found in the chains of Tartarus and are kept in the hottest and the lowest of hell. The lowest of hell, three gold, Sheol, Yokohana, and another place called Tartarus. Specific language. These angels that crossed the line and mingled with strange flesh, the Bible says. Right? They are now reserved in chains of darkness until judgment. So there's lots of demonic powers and lots of fallen angels that are still given domain because of the authorities. But those angels that did this, they're reserved. They were, they were taken off the grid. So you say, well, why don't we see it anymore? Well, the Bible tells us why. Because the angels that did this are bound in chains of darkness and held in Tyrus until the day of judgment. God's like, eh, wrong answer. They crossed the line. They went beyond their abode. God found them in darkness and he testified. Anybody else want to do this? Are you glad I went into this room? So it's, we have modern day genetics, man. Modern day, uh, so much connected to this. But there's modern day genetics. I mean, we are entering in 
So with time, and maybe we're not even there, but we're here. If we're in a season in technology, I was just telling my son the same thing I was here at church this morning. Bible prophesies about the time of the end. It gives you two, two specific conditions in the book of Daniel. It tells you condition one is that men will be traveling to and fro. And then it tells you condition two that knowledge will abound. So Daniel gives, Daniel's very specific. And, and there's lots of ways to interconnect this, but I'll just use Daniel. Daniel 9 is men will be traveling to and fro. Did you know that prior to World War II there was no mass transit other than trains? Now, we think, after World War II, man began to fly. That's when all of the transcontinental airlines began to happen in the 50s and in the 60s. But prior to World War II, which I would bet prior to 1948, when Israel became a nation, because that's what opened the door. And now men began to travel to and fro. We, since 1992, knowledge has abound. You have more power in your cell phone than most libraries in the history of the world have ever contained. You have access to knowledge that is infinite. You have infinite knowledge in the palm of your hands. Knowledge is bound, and knowledge is abounding. Those are both three conditions of the return of the Messiah. In case you didn't know, at no other point in history since the time of the resurrection has that been possible. And that's just one aspect of many. So to think we're not in the latter season, to not think that the latter will be greater than the former, there's a great outpouring all stuff, I don't want to freak anybody out, but there's a turn, and there's a change, and there's a transition, and you will live in a time and a season that you need to be aware of. And there is a spirit of the age. There is a spirit within the uh, spirit. There is a spirit, it's like a serpent, maybe, because that's what he is. There's a spirit in the age. It's a spirit of indifference, it's a spirit of religion, it's a spirit that denies power, it's all of those and more. The Goliath went forth, the champion for champion, he said. So the people saw Goliath next life, and they were greatly dismayed. So what happens to you when you're not in the anointing, guys? You're going to get afraid. When you're not in the spirit, fear becomes commonplace. In the spirit, there's no fear. Because when you're in the spirit, you're what? Perfect love. And perfect love does what? Pass out fear. So when you're in the anointing, you're in the spirit. Fear has no place there because the perfect love you're encountering has just cast out fear. But when you're not walking in the anointing, fear is an overpowering presence, isn't it true? What it testifies to you is that you're not in his presence, you're not understanding your identity, and you're not executing the power that's been given to you. All see this with me. All will experience fear, but we do not have to live in it. There's a difference between experiencing fear and living in fear. And getting ready to get witness. We're all going to get afraid, right? You can get afraid, but all you got to do is make an adjustment. You get into the spirit, you begin to receive, you begin to understand, you begin to get in his power, you begin to pray, you begin to plan, you begin to whatever it is, you get in the anointing and fear. You'll be, you'll be shocked at where fear goes. Then you step out of the spirit and all of a sudden fear is back. And you get back in the spirit. There's no fear. It's true. That's how you make it through circumstances. This is that which overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith through the power of the spirit. It overcomes everything. Anointing overcomes everything. Everything. David runs to the army as Goliath is speaking. So David's just kind of coming up on the army to check on his brothers, and right about the time Goliath's coming out to say something, David hears him. He's kind of like, what? What's going on here? David goes to some of the soldiers, and they say, hey, what's going on? The soldiers explain, well, you see what's going on here, David? Is army's over there, army's over here. Twice a day, this big dude here comes out and challenges us to a fight. Well, nobody here's got the guts to actually go out and fight it. But if you do get the guts to go out and fight, God, uh, the, the king's going to reward you. He's going to give you a place of prominence. He's going to give you make your family tax exempt. And he's going to give you his daughter. David goes, what? 
said, tell me again. David actually asked three times, what's going to be given? David was like, well, I'd do it for free. Now that there's money on the table, I'm really going to do it. God has no problem with prosperity, people. God has no problem with blessing. He has no problem with it. So not only was David going to do it, but David was going to reap the reward. Why? Because his eye was on the prize. His eye was on the problem. His eye was on the reward. Let us run towards the prize of the upward calling. His eye was on the reward and not on the problem. Everybody else was looking at the problem, and David was looking at it going, oh, you mean there's actually no reward? He's going to do this. And so David spoke to him, and he said, what shall be done? So he asked again. Who is this? And then he says this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's mocking us? Circumcision in the Old Testament was a mark of covenant. It's a blood covenant. Okay, I want to talk to all the men in the region of the room. Why didn't God tell them to get a tattoo or an earring? He told them because he wanted them to be pure, sexually pure, that they were to circumcise themselves so that when they saw themselves, they would remind themselves, you're not like everybody else. You're to carry sexual purity, and you're to have purity in your bloodline, and you're to have purity in your way. They would actually wear a belt, not just to look good, they would wear a belt to remind themselves to not walk after their lower member. They would remind themselves, men wore belts, specifically, they were to be belted up, we have to belt the truth, so they were, they were to wear belts, and they were to remind themselves that I am to, work, to live by my higher faculties, not my lower ones. And that was the point of the circumcision, was that they would be pure before the Lord, particularly sexually. We are circumcised in the heart, so the flesh has been cut away from the heart. That's why you can love people when you're in the spirit, because there's no flesh there, you might know what I'm talking about. You hate them, you get the spirit, you're like, God love you, man. Really? You just told me you had an issue with me. I know, I'm in the spirit now, the flesh is gone. <laughs> Next slide. Gilead confronts his brother. It's going to help somebody right here. Anytime, say this, anytime, anytime. you're going to do something for the Lord, there's going to be ridicule, there's going to be accusation, there's going to be somebody pointing the finger at you. I can't even say that. It's true. So David goes, David goes to the fight, and all of a sudden his older brother comes to him and says, Why are you here? Eliab comes to him. Right? Eliab says, gets angry at him, and he begins to ridicule him and diminish him. Who are you, David? And who did you eat those few sheep with? First of all, they weren't a few sheep, but he's ridiculing and he's trying to demean David. And what he's doing, when you say this, when people ridicule me, Come on, say it. It's going to help you. When people ridicule me and diminish me, and diminish me. it is a mask for their own issues. David was, Iliad was masking his own cowardice. Nobody was stopping Iliad from picking up the sword and going and fighting Goliath. Nobody stopped him. And But David stepped up, and so Iliad didn't want to look bad. He begins to diminish David in order to make himself look better. Iliad could have picked up the fight and went right at it. Have at it, bro. You want to claim the first right of inheritance? You want to say, I'm the firstborn, I get the fight, and David would have been, be my guest. But David, Iliad was a coward. Because Iliad would not confront the fact that he was a coward, and Iliad would not deal with his own fear, he began to turn around and cry on other people. That's right. You need to be aware of this in your own life. When you begin to diminish and ridicule other people, you need to back up and go, okay, I'm doing that, so where am I afraid? Where am I? Why am I diminishing this person? Where am I a coward? Where am I afraid? Where am I jealous? It's an indicator of an internal issue. And you need to recognize that when that's going on, that there's something not aligned correctly with you. And 
you also need to realize when people are doing that to you, there's something not aligned correctly with them. He was masking his own fear. He accuses him. Accuses him what? Conceit and a people motive. Here's the deal. He never, this is important, he never greeted David. David's his brother. He didn't even greet him. He never asked David what his motives were. Yet he felt entitled to judge David. We need to bring home on this one. Oftentimes, we don't fellowship with, we don't even know the person. We haven't even been friends with them or even offered them a hello. We haven't even asked them why they're doing what they're doing or what their motives are, but we feel entitled to judge them. You're entitled to judge them, you don't even know the person. Why do you judge that person? Paul said, to his own master he stands, and to his own master he falls, but yet he will stand for the Lord to make a stand. You know, this is the point. He didn't greet him. He didn't even feel like what his motive. He didn't ask David what his motives were, but he felt entitled to judge him. And I got a verse for you. A fool answers a matter before it's heard. So when people are judging you and they don't know your motive, they're fools. When you're judging people and you don't really know why they're doing it, you haven't even taken the time to do that. This is, this is common the, on the internet. The pajama hajim is what it is. And we've got bloggers out there giving opinions and writing things and condemning and ripping people. They don't even know the person. They don't even know what their motives are, but they feel entitled to write something about someone anytime they want or anytime they feel. They're false. Fools answer matters before heard. Somebody tells you what their motives is. You are obligated to accept that at face value. It doesn't matter what you think it is. They say, no, this is why I'm doing it. We're doing it to reach people. We're doing it to get this. We're doing it to this. I'm doing it to this. Whatever the motive is, you need to accept it at face value. David says, what have I done? In other words, what's the problem here? He says, is there not a cause? Then he turned to another person. He looks at his brother really out and goes, what's your issue with me, man? Isn't there a cause? Isn't God the honor on the line here? Why can't you see that? And then he looks at another guy and goes, isn't there a cause? David's like looking at the whole room going, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you? There's a, there's a cause here. God's honor. What's he saying? Is there not a purpose that is worthy of our extravagant sacrifice? Is there not a purpose that is worthy of our extravagant courage? Somewhere along the line, you've got to connect with what God is asking. There is a cause, people. It is the cause to build up. I'm not going to give it to you on the most generic and basic terms. We're not even going to go into calculus. We're going to deal with remedial math. So let's just get our one plus ones right. There is a reason God wants you to build a church. He wants you to function. This is one of these. This is a cause. This right here is the cause of Christ in the world. It is. It's the only thing Jesus is building is the church. I don't know if you know that. He's not building your individual life. He's building the ecclesia. And through the ecclesia, your life is built. Without the ecclesia, write this down, your life will not be built. You are symbiotically joined to the church, whether you want to be or not. So Jesus is building his church. And as you commit and connect to it, he builds your life too. The apostolic plans come down, we partner with the apostolic plans, our lives are changed, our lives are transformed. Puts a lot of burden on a leader, puts a lot of burden on the leadership. I'm not saying churches operate the correct way. The pastor, the leader, whomever, is to seek for heaven's will and plan and implement that and bring that before the people and call the people into it. That's the point. The problem is we don't have a lot of vision in the church. We're blind leading the blind. Huh? How many knows about without vision, you're blind? So you go to a church and you don't have any vision, or their vision's like, you know, they're blind. And the, how do you, what do you think a blind man can lead? He'll lead you into a ditch. Blind leaders are the blind. That's not just doctrinally. That's 
kingdom-oriented. We, we have a vision, we have a purpose, we have a plan, we have a motive. Those plans come from heaven. They're not my bright, brilliant ideas. My ideas pale in comparison. I like, the, I like my ideas, but I'm like, that's not my sister. That's, I think that's, that's good. Let's go with that, Jesus. That's a better idea. That's a better plan. So what if I have a, what, what's your problem with me? Is there not a cause? Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing the school not for an exercise in acting. There's a lot of other things I would prefer to do, but this is not an exercise of that. I'm a pastor not because I have any interest in being a pastor. I'm a pastor because I was summoned. You can question that motive. I don't believe you. You do whatever you want to do. I know myself. I know what I would prefer. I, I preach the glorious gospel, and I never complain against it. It is my honor to preach the glorious gospel, and I take it very seriously, and I present everything I have in it. And I don't want you to know that. But if you were to talk to me individually, I thought, well, I have other plans. I have a lot of other plans, and it didn't include this. Now, my God, I'm grateful, absolutely. I yield myself to this completely, completely. And it's, that's the process. We're not trying to do a school with an exercise of vanity. Jesus wants to birth something into the world. We have a public education system that is falling apart, to say the least. Godless spirit of the age being indoctrinated into the lives of our children. You don't think we have churches selling out Christian schools are closing by the left and the right. I don't know if you're not in this world, so I get it. They're closing because they're selling out to charters. I'm just out of, I got one. They sell out to the charter. The charter comes in, offers them a chunk of money, it solves their financial problems, and they go, well, we don't have a financial problem anymore. Yes, but you also just vacated your mandate. We give up our mandate. And is it a sacrifice? Yes, it's a sacrifice. Is it a commitment? Yes, it's laziness on the part of the church. It's an unwillingness to endure the difficulty to birth something into the world that the Father wants and that has value. It's pure laziness. 100%. So if there's like listening to this by podcast or SoundCloud or whatever, and you're thinking of selling out and spreading to a charter, I would tell you not to. Fulfill the mandate. Reach the lost. Redeem. Teach the children. Receive not the children to come unto me. We're not going to Christian school because we want to be academically superior. I want gospel spirit filled kids to come out of this church. That change families and change worlds. Christian, is there not a cause? Is there not something that's worth you sacrificing towards? So we ask you to give towards it. Well, I don't know, 35 bucks a week. That's the minimum I'm asking you to do. If you want to do less, do less. If you want to do more, all in. I may have to give up Starbucks. Well, you might. You might. You might have to reduce your cable plan for six months. You might. You just might. You might have to make that blood-suffering sacrifice for that. But you're going to help bring something into the world that the Father's asking for. Do we know what we're doing? I'm going to tell you this. No, we don't. But I can't know who does. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he has no problem with me not knowing what I'm doing or us not knowing what we're doing. Because he's going to show us. He actually prefers it that way. He prefers you not knowing what you're doing. Uh, we act like we gotta know what we're doing. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know who's gonna follow Jesus. Okay. He'll show you everything you need to know. But well, she's not right about it. We're gonna know what we're doing. We're believing God is gonna show us. And I believe he will. Honor, purpose, power. That's how you move from extraordinary to from ordinary to extraordinary. You're gonna have to step up. You're gonna have to begin to honor, you're gonna have to understand his purpose, you're gonna have to start understanding his power. I don't know why. Sorry guys. You asked you ask me to do nothing. Check now, I'm not going to 
followers of the way, and images of the Christ. We're images of anointing. So we cannot be Christians and not understand anointing. Anointing is insane. Oh, how are you part of our DNA. Saul refused the anointing and he became worthless. Saul didn't want it. He became useless and worthless, trumping in his head, good for nothing. You have an army of people out there who don't know the anointing because the leader didn't want the anointing, so he wasn't able to teach them the anointing. So the people that don't know the anointing, now they're in fear. If we have a giant, so the fear is a lack of anointing. Worthless, there's no value when you don't when you refuse it. And we have a giant who's an anti-anointing, who's against everything. We have mockers, and this is the nickname of the church today. Let them mock the anointing. Let them mock it. Lay hands on the sick, oh, mock it. God's going to bless you, mock it, whatever. We, we mock the anointing. It's not, you're, you're against the things that God would have. David, he walked in the anointing, he walked in courage, power, and victory. Here's my close, my humble close. You want to move into intimacy, you want to move into a closer relationship with Jesus. But it's not just receiving him and being in his presence. Christian, we, we are not just people of his presence, we are people of his purpose, and we are people of his power. His presence is to move us into his purposes, and his power is to move us into our destiny. This is the point. When we have a generation that's being taught about the presence of God, and that's good, but it doesn't end with the presence. We get onto his heart and we hear his heart. What are you saying? What are you doing? What matters to you? That's the point. When we think it's just this party where we're just going to lay out before the Lord and just bask in his presence. That's only part of it. Her presence is to move you with your purpose and to move you into power. And if his presence is not moving you into purpose and power, then you're using his presence in vain. Just a thought. We need to move into intimacy. We need to move out from the crowd. And we need to move on to victory. This is God's point, God's purpose, God's call in your life. How we thank you for listening. Everyone bless you. If you're here for Discover all day, we're going to do it right there in that room. And hey, there's sandwiches. So if you guys want to come in, I think there is anyway. Are there sandwiches on it? Yes, sir. Okay. So if you want to come in and grab a sandwich, you can say, I'm just here for the food. Okay, that's fine. We're going to meet in that room right there. But let me bless you. Let's receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. May you forever live in your favor. His name, Jesus' name. So discover, elevate, and go out.